welcome to the Sports Carnage Podcast, presented by Detroit Sports Nation, featuring Paul Roshan, D. Dillon Bear, Ryan Griffin, and Matthew Basson, bringing the most arrogant takes on the planet straight to your ears. We don't promise to always be right, but we promise to act like we are. What's happening, webheads, along with Ryan Griffin and Paul Roshan? I'm Matt Bass, and welcome to Sports Carnage. Got a lot to get through. We are going to start this past Saturday in the ring. The Gypsy King taking down the Bronze Bomber in the seventh round. The, the quarter what? said enough is not He's the Bronze Bomber. The what? He, I mean, he was the Bronze Bomber. He can still, when he hits you, you're going to know the next day when you wake up. He just never hit the Gypsy King. Hold on. So, am I dumb? You, know, you are dumb. Clearly. Because <laughs> I very much thought he was the Bronze Bomber. Pretty sure it's a bronze bomber. Let me see. Now I need to see. I need to see. I'm, I've never heard that in my life. I'm not dumb. Come on, Hall. Yeah, the bronze bomber. Why? Because well, if he's, if he, is he from the Bronx? Because if he's not, <laughs> I don't know the where bron- the fuck he's from. He's black. It was coined. It, it, the nickname coined after what, Joe Lewis, mean? who's the brown bomber. It means he fucking couldn't be. Black people, like, identify with a guy. No, the he's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If you're of all. from the Bronx, so you identify with the if Bronx. You're fucking, if you're from Detroit, you don't identify with the Bronx. New York. <laughs> if you're from the Bronx. If you grew up in Queens, you don't identify with the Bronx. Paul's new to hip hop. You gotta forget. Why the fuck? No, no, stop. This is the fucking worst nickname of all time. That is definitely not true. <laughs> It is a nickname that are, celebrates him coming in fucking third at the Olympics. I don't believe so. I think it's... No, uh, I'm I, reading it right now! Really? That's why he's the bronze bomber? Because he got third As in the Olympics? As an amateur, he won a bronze medal in the heavyweight division at the 2008 Olympics. This led to Let's his go. nickname of the bronze bomber, which Wilder coined after Joe Lewis's brown bomber. Well, okay. Hey, that is how fucking ma- terrible. Hey, how many Olympic medals you got? I don't care. Not a one. How many Olympic medals you got? You got. You got. You got. <laughs> All right, let's let's start over since I no, we're not. This oh no, we're not starting over. This is no. We place. in the cat. We in the full swing of things. Uh, Your ass not knowing and mistaking what his nickname actually was. Regardless, think, thinking all black people are from the Bronx. <laughs> Uh, I know that you both um, <clears throat> streamed the fight. Now, it, it's got nothing to do with them being from the fucking Bronx. I, I pay for it on pay-per-view. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, it's more of a celebration. ESPN Plus? It is more of a celebration of that culture. It is nothing to do. There's plenty of fucking people that talk about the Bronx that did not grow up in the Bronx. So I, I thought it was I, something like that. I said, was he from the Bronx? He said, I don't know. He's black. <laughs> I don't know if that can make the cast. <laughs> no, no, we got to clean that up a little bit. Not a I'm lot. To, I'm going to have to try it just a little bit. So, Ryan, just, you were just definitely... Just parts out. <laughs> definitely pulling for Deontay Wilder in this one. These two obviously fought about a year and a half ago. Weren't and, we all? Uh, 
No, I was actually rooting for Fury in this one. I wanted to really? see. I th- I, yeah, because he I, was racist. Remember? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it would make it more interesting for the third fight, which is still going to happen now because Wilder has uh, used his clause. Uh, he had 30 days to say whether he wanted it or not. He says he does want it. Says the uh, Black Panther slash Super Shredder suit that he wore coming <laughs> down to the freaking ring uh, weighed too much and took out his legs. I think the shot to the ear that destroys equilibrium took out his legs but well, who knows maybe why did he both, take that shot to the ear hold on because <laughs> he was playing halloween in his defense that costume was awesome so what <laughs> that was super so what? cool i wore not... a great costume then get my ass whooped and my my well, he did not had to throw in the towel he did in the not seven. expect to get his ass kicked he should have he's not a boxer and he got outboxed by a boxer who decided to be aggressive and come at him and take away his one strength which is bullying people and he got bullied and you've seen it before when the bully gets bullied he got bullied on, got bro. his ass whooped he got his, his jaw left his weird. body in one of the shots, I see uh, still fluttering away. That was that was a pretty disappointing fight. One of the more disappointing fights I've seen. That was on one side, not, not on Fury's side. On Fury's side, it was a masterful fight, but it was still boring. No, he was fighting a handicapped man for half, <laughs> half a the man, fight. A man he made handicapped. That's fair. It's not his fault that they didn't call the fight after he exploded. Like if I'm in there, especially if I'm a ringside doc, like. Nothing good can happen. When your eardrum explodes, you're done. So your equilibrium shot. You're not coming back in the fight, and you can only do permanent damage. Like, there's nothing good to come of this. And it's not like we're in round 10, and he's just got – and he's winning, and he's just got to gut out a couple rounds. No, he's in the midst of just getting his ass kicked with mm-hmm. no prayer of returning. I would have called that – and I – I am all. I think they stop a lot of fights early. That fight should have been stopped earlier. Like that was his his corner should not have had to throw in the towel. They gave him way more opportunity than he did. And I mean, you saw it afterwards. And it's not. I'm not knocking the guy. I mean, he got, his freaking eardrum got exploded. He got his ass kicked. You're done. You have no equilibrium at that point. You can barely stand on your own two feet. As we've seen him get knocked down repeatedly. It just. It was a bad fight. It was not a good fight. Even even if I wanted Tyson Fury to win, which I I do like Tyson Fury. I just said before the fight, I like both of these fighters. Uh, I but even if I wanted him to win, it was a boring fight. Like there was nothing exciting, really. I mean, very opposite from their first match, where you know went the distance and there was a lot of action. You know, Fury mm-hmm. outboxed Wilder, but Wilder got the big strong connections going, which is what he does. And, you know, ended up going the distance and you get a draw. This was the exact opposite because it was, what, the second round that he'd exploded his ear? No, he won the second round. I think it was the third round. Was it the third round? Okay. After that, it wasn't a fight anymore. There was nothing, you know, even if Wilder connects on any of his punches, there's not nearly the strength behind them that there would be if he could see straight and keep his feet level and his hips going the way you want to put it into a punch when you don't have that when your equilibrium was out. But did you see who actually threw in the towel? The assistant trainer not even the trainer the assistant who gave the assistant trainer the power to even do that i'd have kicked that towel back on well, the ring well, going, no, maybe no, no, no. he just when had the main it. guy does it he's a lot then i'll then i'll listen to it he probably had it thinking they weren't going to use it and they're like oh shit we I, need to throw in the towel that towel well, i got it at the exact right time because dante wilder was about to get his face ripped off yeah, imagine bad. not like imagine being in a fight with someone and not being able to see them, and then imagine that that person is Tyson Fury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
six foot nine, two hundred seventy three pounds, who's coming at you? Yeah, and I don't want to And that's where I I have to give Deontay Wilder a lot of credit just for getting in the ring with a man who outweighs you by forty pounds at weigh in and walking weight probably fifty sixty pounds on the daily. It's not. I mean, Deontay well, Wilder bulked up too. Wilder gained what twenty pounds than he's for this ever fight? Been. Wilder's walking weight is around 215. Like not like for this normal. fight it wasn't, though. No, not no. he was like 230-something for this fight. Yeah. That's what I said. He, but generally, that gap's even wider. He is fighting just a much, much larger man. Now, Fury, he's not a chiseled, lean no, 270s. <laughs> he's got, he's got uh, a yeah, little... He, he, looked like he, he looked like he enjoyed putting on those 273 pounds. He's got a little cushion behind those punches. He's like, but what, I can is, eat more burgers? But Wait. he is a monster. And that's the thing. Once you get to heavyweight, there's no... That upper limit is just... Is yeah, there is really no there. max. So <laughs> it, you're just... So I give him a lot of credit. But in reality, he didn't show up for the fight. He played... Not only did he come in cautious, which is fine. I mean, you're fighting a guy that could easily knock you out in one punch. So I, I get you want to kind of take sure, it. Talk slow, a lot of shit for fight, coming in cautious. See how the fight develops. Like that's fine. But when Tyson Fury takes the fight to you, you have to respond. You cannot let this man dictate the fight the whole time. And maybe Wilder thought if you, if you can't see him, may, well, he <laughs> could see him, just not after the third round. He saw three of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, this man has not learned from Rocky know, to hit the one in the middle. Maybe maybe in the beginning he's like, all right, he's a lot bigger than me. He's coming strong. I'll let him gas. But when he starts doing damage to you and he's outboxing you, you have to switch it up. You cannot just sit there and take a beating. So by the time the third round came around and he got his eardrum just fucking blown to smithereens like a goddamn grenade got dropped on the side of his face, it... It was done, done, and he should have made an adjustment way before that. And it's ex- incredible. What adjustments can he make? He's not known for being a boxer. He's known for knocking you out with one punch. Is, that is, is what Deontay Wilder's known for. Three rounds worth. He's not three known for footwork. Info. He's not known for IQ in the ring. He's known for knocking you out with one punch. So I don't know what adjustments he's gonna make. I don't know why he wants to take a third fight when throw, he is going to be more a those one bigger punches. guy who is more skilled than he is, smarter in the ring than he is. And unless he does a complete 180 and learns all these traits before getting back in the ring for the third fight, I don't see why anyone's gonna think anything's gonna be different so the third I take, time around. I take umbrage with oh things will not be different the third time around, but that's that's for later. But I take umbrage with the fact that you were talking about a professional boxer who had a prolific amateur career before being undefeated in professional boxing with, I don't even know what his record is. I know he's, Hang got like he's in, a, in the heavyweight he's division that's like been weak since the freaking beginning of wins. 2000. You can say that certain things are his strengths and certain things he's not known for, but to act like he is incapable of them to me is I dishonest. didn't say he was. I'm saying he hasn't shown it in the past. Which is fine, but he... He hasn't needed the, to either. In the first match, in the first match against Fury... He lost, period. And I think now many more people will admit that after seeing Fury just absolutely dismantle him. He lost the first match, and because he got lucky, he scored two knockdowns in the 12th round. Not that those weren't luck, but it really skewed things, and he earned a draw that he didn't deserve. 
But really, he got beat by Fury the first time. And you're coming into a second match, and you have an extremely long time to prepare. So you're going back, you're watching the first fight over and over again, and seeing what worked, which wasn't much, and what didn't work, which was a lot. And you realize that Fury is a better boxer from a technique and movement standpoint Mm -hmm. than you gave him credit for. That he's not just a mass that's going to one-punch hit you out. That this guy can actually box. So I would expect, and I would force if I was the coach... I'm going to take my boxer who really got beat up the first time and we are going to work on all those things to take a different fight to Tyson Fury. All the things Tyson Fury did for the rematch is what Deontay Wilder should have been doing. And he is capable of moving a lot more than he did against Tyson Fury that night. And he is capable of, when the fight's being taken to him, you, you have two choices, regardless of what your strengths and weaknesses are. You can keep getting backed up to the ropes and getting your face hit in, or you can close the gap and swing for the fences and hope for the best. All he did was make himself a sitting duck and try to wait for a lucky punch. If you're going to get your ass kicked, you might as well go out swinging, close the gap and try to do some damage, and hope that you do enough damage to change the dynamic of the fight. There was not a good winning strategy for Deontay Wilder that night. Tyson Fury has proven himself to be, a, on top of a bigger, stronger boxer, a better boxer. At that point, you have to close the gap and try to dish out damage while absorbing it. And if you get lucky and some things break your way and you catch him right, you can change the direction of the fight. Yeah, this man needs right, to spend just two sit weeks back. in Mayweather. <laughs> he can just sit back and take another $30 million as will be. Uh, this is also true. I mean, this, this is, is a guy. Though. You're getting your ass kicked either way. Why are you not going down swinging? Well, I mean, th- look, we can't take it all from this fight because, like we said, in this fight, you know, after the third round, Deontay Wilder is not Deontay Wilder. He is, you know, a shell of himself at that point because he can't see straight. He's got no, you know, no balance, no rhythm, nothing like that that he would normally have. And look, not like he was freaking Apollo Creed before that where he's moving around all day. He's not. Like we said, this is a guy who is known for his power. That he has been put up there with legendary status when it comes to his power. That's it. You don't hear anything else about Deontay Wilder when it comes to being compared to the greats of all time. Besides the fact that he can knock you out with one shot. He has to learn more. He has to bring a a more balanced repertoire for their third fight. If he's going to have any chance of winning his belts back. And have any chance of seeing a, you know, maybe a unification bout against, you know, against Joshua. Which is now what they're clamming for for him and Fury. Uh, but obviously with Wilder, you know, getting his claws and doing that so that they're going to be a third fight, that's going to have to wait. Joshua's got two defenses set up for the next year and a half anyway. So that's something we're talking about two years down the line for Joshua versus whether it's going to be Fury or it's going to be Wilder. But we didn't see the best out of Wilder, obviously. That got taken thrown out the window as soon as Fury connected with that shot to his head. There were some shots before that that, you know, there's definitely some armage to be taken with Fury, some shots to the back of the head when they were in the clinch. That is definitely not allowed. That apparently they were warned very strictly by the ref before the bout in the locker rooms that he has no problem disqualifying anyone for this. And there are people in Wilder's camp that are saying Fury should have been, you know, at least warned and had points taken away, if not flat out disqualified. Fury had a point taken away. Taken. 
That's no, what but I there take was more. They were saying that's but that's boxing. That's every boxing match ever. Watch any watch any boxing match, and a good fighter does what he can get away with. And then when it comes time, I mean, honestly, I thought Fury had a point taken away before he should have. I thought a warning was justified at that point, and they took a whole point away. No, from they him. gave him like two warnings before that. I, I didn't think. I, know, the, I honestly the ref did seem onto it though. I honestly thought the ref was very on top of things, and I actually thought the ref kept Wilder in at a couple times and helped him stay in the fight rather than certainly anything that hurt him. Uh, what hurt him is he got his f***ing ear smashed in by a 275-pound man. I mean, that's what hurt him. And, and that's the, the most disappointing thing. I said that 10 times, but Wilder, like, the fact that he isn't coming in and running circles around Tyson Fury in the ring is embarrassing. There is no way that you You shouldn't be be the vastly superior athlete in the fight and use that to your advantage. It is absolutely embarrassing. I mean, physique aside, the fact that he weighs 40, 50 pounds more than you on fight height, there's no reason for you to let him take the fight to you like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I I don't know how much of a superior athlete he actually is. Apparently, he got worn out carrying a freaking 40-pound suit to the damn ring. Listen, because Tyson Fury had the biggest boss move he, ever. And he's he, like he, he's like Jason Momoa in that commercial. <laughs> Tyson, <laughs> Tyson Fury rested his legs on his entr- entrance to the ring. And he rested his legs putting all his damn weight on Wilder every time they freaking clinched up. Smart, man. He, he fought a smart fight. He really did. I mean, I got to give credit where credit's due. I'm, I mean, I'm mad. I mean, I'm happy for Wilder, I guess, but I, I really, I, I wanted you to mean see. mean Fury? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Fury, I really wanted to see Wilder come in and put on a show. I wanted him to, to. I just, I expected a completely different fight from him. I, I was, I was surprised in a very negative way. I, it was just not, not what I wanted to see. I mean, did you see any instances of it before he got his equilibrium rocked? I watched the whole fight. No, I know. I'm so I'm asking. Did you see any instances of a change in Wilder's style before he lost his balance and vision? Did you see that he was trending that way? Or no. was this... He, no. So there was nothing in the first... I mean, I know you know they're Absolutely saying he won, he won the second round, but... So so that's a, that's my favorite part is when people say he won the second round. And I'll agree with you. I agree with you. I'll give him the second round. That's because there were like 10 total punches thrown the entire second round by both people as Fury was just chilling. Like, congratulations. You won the second round because you connected two punches and your opponent connected one. Fantastic. And that is a little bit of hyperbole for those being extremely literal listening at home. But the second round was just very light on action. And Deontay Wilder connected with a couple more punches than Fury did. So, yeah, give him the round. But it certainly, as far as fight flow, wasn't anything that was some change in whatever that he he was going to start charging and taking over the fight. Uh, He got rocked up in the first round. Tyson Fury kind of rested the second round and got outpointed. And then Tyson Fury took it back to him the third round and then blew up his fucking face. So I mean, did you this, see anything different? Well, no. So I, you know, so I illegally streamed thanks to someone on Twitter after the of third course, round. Of course, of course, because none of us want to. No, no. I mean, like literally, someone like just like you know, just had like their phone on their laptop and they were streaming it and just showing it to all That's of us on their phone through Twitter. Didn't didn't so. we post the link for you? Nope. Like I thought, no. I went. And to I'm, post not, the I'm not link putting that stuff on my computer anyway. I don't trust any of that it. shit. I don't trust it. Oh, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't trust any of that shit. With it. I'm not trying to put viruses in my computer. My links are legit. I just had it on pay-per-view at the crib. <laughs> Lies. I'm right, surprised Ryan didn't say fight, he went to the bar. 
Since that fight, Wilder has come out making excuses already that something was going on in his life. He wasn't in the best mental place coming into the fight, blah, blah, blah. The weight of the costume that I decided to wear apparently was too much for me to wear and walk down to the ring with all this crap as opposed to really just coming out and saying, I got my ass whooped, knocked out my equilibrium. I couldn't see straight. My legs weren't there. And that's that. And we're on to the next fight, which, you know, I'm taking my claws and we'll do this thing again and I'll be better prepared this time. I mean, I hope he's, he can't be worse prepared. It's a true story. I mean, t- to get a fight next time, we need Deontay Wilder or at least his team to learn and learn a lot fast and adjust. And we need Tyson Fury on top of it to be like, I'm good and take it easy and eat even more cheeseburgers. I mean, although I don't know if they eat cheeseburgers where he's from on the other side of the pond. Uh, fish and chips. Yeah, fish and chips. Fish and chips will do it, actually. Hell yeah. Go a little skimpy on the fish, a little heavy on the fried batter. Extra chips. Extra tartar sauce. I don't know if they do that over on that side of the pond either. That might be an American thing. So, so you know, the D has the, is the one to thank for all of this because that's where Tyson went for his new trainer. Detroit-based boxing, baby. Hmm. I didn't no. know that, actually. No, you didn't know that? I, that's fantastic. Javon Sugar Hill Stewart, based in Detroit. I don't know, I don't know why we're betraying our own kind, our U.S. bread, but all right, I guess. Well, because he's from the Bronx, so he doesn't have any association <laughs> with Detroit. I didn't say he was from the Bronx. Never said Gross misrepresentation. Well, I mean, do you, do you think that anything can be different in the next fight? Like, like not... I mean, yeah, a miracle could happen, but realistically, do you foresee it playing out different? I mean, outside of Wilder connecting with one of those famous shots that knocks people on their ass and they don't wake up for a while, no. I think, you know, Fury already showed in the first fight he is a more skilled boxer. In the second fight, with the new trainer, took the style of that training, which has worked so well for Tommy Hitman Hearns, Vladimir Klitschko, and the like, of being aggressive and coming at you and... He got bullied, and he's usually the bully. So when you have Fury, who's already bigger and is already a smarter and better boxer and is taking away your weapon, your, your really your only weapon of your knockout punch, outside of that knockout punch really connecting and Fury just getting caught being lazy, you know, I don't see anything changing in the third fight. I mean, it doesn't have to change in the instance that he'll win, but I think you can see something that's closer to the first fight than the second. I want to see the unification bout. I want to see Fury and Joshua. I don't care I that it's all UK. Is, I, I so it. much hate hate that about boxing. Like it's what, all, all these, the different belts, the, the million. <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid. Like it, it's just unbelievable. But how they look so cool wearing six is. of them. It's so ridiculous how convoluted the sport is, and I think that's part of his contributed God. to the decline of boxing. I don't want to say I think it's guaranteed contributed to the decline of boxing, and it's a huge reason that. So many of the great fights that should happen don't happen because they're in different organizations. This is ridiculous. I mean, you have that. You have Tyson Fury kick Wilder's ass, and that now he still doesn't have all the belts. He'll still have to beat Anthony Joshua for the rest of the belts. And who has more belts than him? Which is it, just four it's stupid. It's so stupid, and it's like, dude. And and we have to wait. We don't but, even get that fight next. We have to wait. Anthony Joshua maybe his third fight from now, and that's if he doesn't run. Like. Oh my god, and god forbid if Wilder does score an upset over Fury now, and it will be an upset, he's going to be at least a 3-1 to one dog, I guarantee it. But, uh, 
I don't know, dude. That boxing know. is frustrating. The, the belts don't bother me. What bothers me is that boxing is tied to the heavyweights. They don't care what's going on in the middleweight and the lightweight and the felterweight and all that divisions. They don't care about that. What's going on in the heavyweights? And when you have a shitload of great heavyweights, boxing does great. When you don't, it doesn't. And see, boxing has not had a I bunch think, of great heavyweights I think in a long that time. Is, see, I think that's just anecdotal based on when – But it's, it's when, based on all the evidence of the last 70 years of it's, boxing. It's such it's, – so you say 70 years, but in reality it's small sample size because it was a handful of greats. In boxing's heyday, there happened to be great heavyweights. Boxing sucks now as far as a spectator sport, as far as the people that are into it in in fan-wise compared to before. Like, boxing was the biggest thing. And when you had Ali Frazier, like, that was the entire world was tuned into that, right? The entire world wasn't tuned in to Fury and Wilder. It doesn't work like that anymore. But if you, if you had an equivalent fighters today to Ali and Frazier, you're not getting the fanfare and the hype that you did back then. It's not happening. It, it's not... And if you look at boxing or really any mixed martial... Any fighting sport, especially now, but even back then as much, but it's it's worse now because I mean, people in general have gotten much larger. The fights... Heavyweight fights are not nearly as entertaining. They're not. It's... Yeah, you can say they're the baddest men on the planet because, of course, they're probably going to beat up the, the kids that are 50 pounds lighter than them. But it's not if, – if you look at a, 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 any – take half of Mayweather's fights. Even though he dominated most of them and picked on lesser boxers, they were still better than most of the heavyweight fights no, you see today. No, no, You take that back. You take I'm, all those words not, you just spewed out and put and them back in your mouth. And, and you I are use, never going to call a Mayweather fight entertaining except for the five rounds that he allowed Conor McGregor my, to make it entertaining. Point. I took the most boring defensive boxer in modern history – and I would still rather watch most of his fights than a heavyweight fight. I mean, what was exciting about the fight between they didn't look, they're, they're not spry out there, they're missing mo- missing most of their punches, and, and even when they connect, they're not connecting where they're trying to hit. It, it looks like it looks like two drunk guys at a bar half the time when they're not laying on each other. It's not nearly as entertaining if you take two middleweights that are extreme athletes with a lot of power and are both just going on. Like, you take Vasily Lomachenko. Take any one of his fights. Anyone. The shittiest fight he's ever had. And it is a thousand times better than any heavyweight fight you're going to give me today. There's no comparison. As far as entertainment and watching a sport and watching people actually box, there's no comparison. What heavyweight brings to the table is they're just two mammoth dudes that are obviously some of the strongest people on the planet and could end a fight with one monster punch like cool whoop de do like but it's i mean i don't need to watch these guys apparently that's gas. what the masses want i don't know why I, I they don't, don't want to watch, watch the welterweights and the featherweights each other the reason is because when and i'm telling you it's just people it's perspective when boxing was at its heyday its best boxers were heavyweights that that was just the reality of it but I mean, yes and no. There were plenty. I mean, there's a lot of different heydays. I mean, you look at the Tommy Hearns and all the and Marvin Hagler and stuff. These are not heavyweights, and they are just as well known as the heavyweights are because they put on legendary, memorable fights. Hagler was a bigger dude. It's not like he was 130 pounds. But he wasn't a heavyweight. But he wasn't. A heavyweight. Neither he wasn't was Tommy Hearns. Neither was Sonny. Either. I wasn't saying Where they were is... flyweights. Yes, but so but they today in, in any fighting, you see it across the fighting sports. 
the best combination, the be- the best is is your middle weights. You're you're like between 145 and 175 in in any fighting sport because it's the best combination of just raw athlete and power, and you get the best of both worlds, the blend of technique and strength, and that gives you the best results as far as a fight to watch, whether it's boxing or MMA or kickboxing or whatever you like to watch, that gives you the best blend. And back then, bigger fighters were the better fighters. That was just the reality of it. Now it's not necessarily the case, but even if the heavyweights were the best ever, even if you had fighters that were better than we've ever had before at the heavyweight division, I'm telling you, boxing would not be this explosion of popularity it's just what the sport is today for a myriad well there's also there's also different there's there's different stuff out there there wasn't mixed martial arts like there is nowadays it definitely wasn't popular like it is nowadays which takes attention away from boxing because you're not just waiting on boxing to see two guys beat the ever-living shit out of each other it's it's not even just sports so take first of all all the access we have to sports in general the four major sports leagues, plus you have soccer and cricket and everything. I'm talking worldwide, of course, and everything that takes consumers' attention. And then outside of sports, people do. There's so much more entertainment outside of sports, whether it's the movies or video games or whatever you you have. You have all these sections, sectors of people. There's nothing they're going to unite around singularly anymore. It, you, baseball has a similar problem to a lesser extent. And they've been able to stay afloat because they're a major sport and baseball's played all over the world. But baseball will never be as popular as it was in the early 1900s. Why? Because there's so much more shit. It's not that the game is worse now. There's just so much more to do and choose from and spend your time watching and learning about. It's not to say that it's bad, but no no one thing is going to singularly captivate the nation in the world anymore. That's just not the, the modern world that we live in. So boxing is never going to reach that point again, and that's okay. There's still plenty of money to go around. There's still plenty of interest to keep it afloat, but it hurts itself when... A casual fan that wants to get into watching boxing, it's so disjointed. There's so many promotions and the fighters are all over. And It's not like like if, if you want to get into football, like, all right, you want to watch professional football? You've got the NFL. That's what you watch. That's where the best, all the best players play in the NFL. And that's it. And it's really easy to follow along. XFL? Boxing, boxing, <laughs> boxing is not like that at all. Go Roughnecks, undefeated. Boxing is just not like that at all, and, and that hurts the sport a lot. I mean, there's a lot of things. There's all the different controversies, fixed fights, all that, how much you have to pay to watch a fight. You know, there's a lot of things that hurt boxing right now and things that they need to make, you know, a giant wave of changes to really get, you know, the masses back into it. But if you got five or six truly great heavyweights, that'll help. And I don't see the pay-per-view thing is what I, I don't. I don't understand why pay-per-view is still a thing. I I don't believe, like, I, I truly don't understand why the networks, we've seen all, all the leagues do it, TV rights, that's where all the big money comes from. You're really telling me that they couldn't get a comparable amount of money to sell the TV rights for it? That, that they couldn't put it on public TV and just sell it through TV rights to ESPN or whoever the hell? And you really don't think they could get enough money well espn has their own pay-per-view for it they don't want to do that espn plus (laughs) so stupid i I couldn't even tell you who had the pay-per-view because i watched it not on espn plus yep i I didn't even know that not even a little bit 
See, I messed up. If I'd have got that Disney Plus bundle with ESPN Plus as well as Hulu, then I could have watched it on my big ass TV as opposed to on my phone through someone for else's screen. Oh no! So you have you have to subscribe to ESPN Plus and then you still have to pay for it on pay per view. Oh, that's ridiculous. I was gonna say, yeah, so I didn't think it. Was so you pay the seven dollars a month or whatever it is for ESPN Plus, and then you still got to drop out. eighty bucks, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it. So it's less if you subscribe than if you were just to like buy the pay per view and not have ESPN Plus. Okay. But, yeah, so how much still, did you, you pay for buy the pay per view? Beg your pardon? No, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't discuss uh, finance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, the presumed number one pick in the NFL draft coming up, Joe Burrows, is contemplating retirement because his hands are too small, and he's asking people to pray for him. Which I freaking loved. That was a fantastic tweet. Obviously, he's not actually contemplating retirement. But all of this crap, all of this talk around the combine and hand size and how this is a science and that if you have smaller hands, Lurgy. you're going to fumble fumble more. And if you have larger hands, you're going to fumble less, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, there's guys hands. out there like freaking Brett Favre who had one of the largest hands and fumbled half the time he touched the ball. Uh, so there's definitely uh, proof against that science. And yet somehow in 2020, this is still the talk that they can, they just somehow correlate hand size with grip strength. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why this is even still a thing. McShay had this thing. I don't know if it was, uh, it was probably today. Um, but it was like the quarterbacks in the last like 30 years of the NFL draft who have less than nine inch hands. So like nine sort of the cutoff line are just like every single one of them is awful. I think the notable ones were Tannehill, Chad Henney, and I can't remember. It's, it's somebody. It's some other like fringe starter in the. Uh, it's some other like fringe starter in the NFL right now. Jared Goff, but yeah, it was Goff actually. I thought Goff had nine and a quarter. His might have been. Sorry, it, was, uh, it was Goff, Tannehill, and Henney. The more, the more, the bigger cutoff I've seen is really nine and a half. Like under nine and a half is where you get questioned. And it's, this is more for media than anything else, but people look at it also very wrong. And it's, it's taken on a caricature of its own and everyone likes to make fun of things. But if there's one thing people should understand, it's that the NFL and NFL teams are not in the business of picking bad players. They do because it's a hard job. And some people whose names I will not name who work for the Detroit Lions are just terrible at their job in evaluation. Oh, no, name them. All of them. In general, in (laughs) general, they have an idea of what works and what doesn't work. And this testing is for a reason. Now, I don't like the way they measure hand size in the NFL. I like it in the NBA a lot better. So in the NFL, they measure pinky to thumb. Which is weird because your pinky is largely irrelevant both in life and in football. Uh, When you're throwing a football, you could very much throw a football just fine without your pinky ever touching the ball. Not the way I use it. You can't do that with the rest of your fingers. Like You need the rest of your fingers. Your pinky is whatever. Um, The NBA, they measure, I believe it's base of palm to top of your middle finger. I think that's how they measure in the NBA. Yeah. it's 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 much more related to grip but that's the key thing so having small hands is not a good thing no one ever said that if you have small hands it is absolutely impossible that you cannot play professional football but it is a factor it is a data point like 
one of the millions of data points that we collect on draftable products, whether it's testing or stats or intangibles or interviews or whatever it is, or their college production, whatever it is, we collect all these data points and they're part of a big picture. And because you have a small hand does not mean you're going to fail or you're going to fumble all the time. But combined with other things, it can be indicative of some things. Shea Patterson does not have huge, huge hands. His are just over nine inches. Shea Patterson's hands are a detriment. I don't know if you've ever seen him try to hold on to a ball or throw a football in general, especially if the conditions aren't great. Shea Patterson's hands are a detriment. But it's not, it's not, it does not to say that someone with Shea Patterson-sized hands cannot be successful. It depends on the individual. So you take a guy like that and you've seen that he's had trouble, trouble holding onto the ball. He's had trouble gripping the ball. And then you say, oh, his hands are on the smaller side. It's something he's probably not going to overcome. That makes sense. But you see a guy like Joe Burrow who doesn't cough up the ball, who throws a beautiful ball, who has thrown in bad conditions. And you, you can say, you know what? He succeeded in spite of his hands. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. And one of the biggest things is really a combination of grip strength to hand size. Uh, you, if you have a bigger hand, it is obviously much easier to wrap your digits around a football. You have of a course. much, it's much easier to control and use. But if you have a very soft grip, it's not going to matter. Likewise, if you have an iron grip in a smaller hand, you still might be okay. So you got to take a combination of things, but especially for the media and for talking points, and it's just evolved into complete nonsense. If people like to take things that they deem nonsensical and just run wild with them. Hand size is one data point in thousands that we evaluate people with, and everything, anything has to be taken in context. Like the 40-yard dash, like bench press, like anything else. No one says you need this, this, and that to be successful. It is part of painting an entire picture. No, absolutely. But you aren't hearing about grip strength. You're hearing about hand size. They have tools to test grip strength. They don't use them in the combine. They use a tape measure to measure your hand size. And then you got guys like Kyler Murray, who had the smallest hands of the first round last year and had it the lowest fumble rate and the highest QBR of any rookie quarterback last year. But think about that for a second. Kyler Murray, Ballin'. with the smallest hand size, went number one. So that tells you all you need to know. He went right number one because Kingsbury went to, Car- went to the Cardinals. But that's plenty, plenty of small hand quarterbacks have been drafted high in the past few years. It tells you all you need to know about how much these teams, when it comes down to actually making a decision, rely on that as a singular metric. They don't. It's, it's really, it's, it's much ado about nothing, like most of sports media today, to be honest. Well, yeah, but if we didn't have that, we wouldn't even have a show. That's not true. There's so many real things to talk about. It's just people don't care. Exactly. So ba- we didn't have Baker had small hands. <laughs> I got small hands. You know, you know who didn't though? Big time tool, baby. Nine and seven eighths. Let's go. Number three pick. Wait, is that? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tua does not have small hands. I swear, I thought Tua's were smaller. Nope. Maybe it was someone else I saw. It's too much. He don't have little too, tiny baby too, too, too hands. Too much about hand size. He got big man lurky hands. I saw they were the biggest. What were they? It was like ten and ten and a, ten and ten three quarters. Ten and seven eighths. Your boy like Nate Stanley got ten inch hands too. Stay ain't bigger than Lurkies. Hey yo. No, yeah, Lurky. Lurky had like 
among the biggest, maybe the biggest. He had the biggest. Yeah. It didn't help him much in college. That just I tells you how crazy best. someone like Russell Wilson is. Five foot eleven, and he's got hands of this for someone who's seven foot four, ten and a quarter inches. He has huge Jesus hands. Christ. He has massive hands. Yeah. It's like And yet y'all laugh Ryan at me when I talk about how Kobe had my size hands and his greatness would be even greater if he had first, MJ's first hands. I didn't laugh Reddit. at you. Brian, big I was hands the, I was the lone defender <laughs> of you. Did you see I that was my favorite. I seen it earlier. Uh Barstool Big Cat posted when you guys were playing Oregon in the bowl game last year. <laughs> the Red you, Box Bowl? Do you remember Lewerke fumbling the ball for an hour in the backfield before throwing an awful red zone pick? Of course. You, I mean, I, you might have wanted to purge that from your brain. It was, He had posted like something like, God, I love bowl season or something. And then someone re like retweeted that in the thread about Lewerke's big hands helping him as an NFL prospect because he'd be able to hold on to the ball better. It just killed me. It really slayed me. Because that man, oof, it did not help him in college at all. I'm going to be honest. It was not great. Not great. And you say it's all media, but at he the same time, plenty of bad snips. like after they measured Jordan Love's hands, like a bunch of scouts like ran out the room to go talk to their guys like, oh my God, he's got huge hands. Like, well, so but the so the thing with Jordan Love's measurements is little victories, baby. Jordan Love's <laughs> measurements are confirming things that teams already view about him. They view him as a physical specimen that could develop into a really good prototypical quarterback. He's got ten and a half inch hands, and he has an eighty inch wingspan, which is the biggest of any quarterback, which is massive. It's a huge wingspan. He's a big, lanky dude. Not even lanky. I mean, he's built well. He's under. He's six three and I think three quarters, in two twenty five. I mean, he's got good size to him, and he's a big dude. He's got the big hands, the big arms to go. That he can really whip that bitch in there. Now it didn't translate in college. Uh, he's certainly more of a physical specimen than a polished finished product. But that's the kind of things that scouts are looking at. But at the end of the day, scouts aren't the ones drafting. Scouts are putting a package together for a GM to take and evaluate all aspects of a person's game. And, and that's what matters in the end. Like, Brian Lewerke is not going in the top four rounds. I don't care how big his hands are. They could have been 15 inches. He's not, it doesn't matter. Get there. Very nice. God damn. Well, they want Jalen Hurts to play wide receiver, which means he'll be MVP in two years. <laughs> so you should probably take him number not one. Not everyone is Lamar Jackson. Didn't they want Lamar to play running back? Nope. They didn't work out, or, or they, I think they wanted what? to work him out. He'd be the thinnest running back in the history of running backs. Well, he always says not bad for a running back. Because he's a running quarterback. But, I mean, if they wanted him to play receiver. I just said, yeah, because you would just do end, end arounds all day long with him. He's technically a receiver, but you're handing the ball to him. There Nine, we go. Seven, eight, baby. No, ten and no, ten and one eighth. Oh, hang on. CBS at his junior has pro day. even at the combine. Matt, you bitch. Uh, I'm looking at CBS. It's got 10 inch even at the combine. To a measure, 10 and 1 inches at the at his junior pro day at Alabama. Wait, soak him in ice before he went to the no, combine? You get a, no, you get a hand massage, and they massage the tendons and areas in between your fingers to make your hand grow, apparently. He's got 10 inches. At his pro day? He's before got 10 his, like right before he walked at in the I combine. Guess. Yep, imagine ten inches Jordan, on the lines. <laughs> Jordan Love ten and five eighths. 
God damn. Anyone, biggest hands so they've seen working, since Paxton I, I, Lynch Why do you or Cody have Kessler? different measurements than I do? I have 10 and a half for Jordan Love. Hmm? It's on this ESPN piece that I have. Can you check the date on that? It's the new one that's on their homepage right now. It was written at 7 a.m. today. Jordan Love had the widest wingspan. 80 inches. Brian Lewerke, biggest hands, and Justin Herbert, tallest. Justin Herbert is a monster. 6'6", six, six, dude. With 10-inch hands, 79-inch wingspan. Like, talk about size. Uh, you should definitely trade up to number two and take him. <laughs> Any other team listening right now? <laughs> this is a really interesting draft list for quarterbacks. Hand size aside, why we're spending so much time talking about Hand size, but hand size aside, this is a very interesting quarterback draft class. Can we talk about Jerry Jew D for a minute, please? Oh, God. Please? <laughs> sure. What do we want to talk if about? He... That this man, I mean, look, there are Rastafarians that wear Star of David necklaces. He could have gone with that excuse route, but <laughs> he apparently just because it. his last name is Judy <laughs> and people just call him Jew, he decided to wear a Star of David necklace. Like, really? Really? Imagine if this man was white and it was something racially tinged. Like, I, I don't know what... They said a spin move is called the dreidel. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like... This is the dumbest thing I've seen in my life. And I'm not, I'm not saying there should be outcry about it. I don't care. I think it's hilarious. I think the things people get worked up about is absurd. But god dang could I imagine... If Shea Patterson was wearing like, I don't know, an like African the Africa fist medallion, yeah, like, and it's like that. People call me uh, I don't even know. Give him a really black nickname. I don't know. It, no, just, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. It's like the most absurd. We call him Good and Plenty. <laughs> I, the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. My my last name is Judy. People shorten it to Jew, so I guess. I'm going to wear this gonna, Jewish necklace. Or a Star of David necklace. Like, it's fine. Just say, you know, like, I like the way it looked. I uh, I respect the culture. Like, I don't know. It looks cool. It's gold. Something. I anything. Do not say. I Like, that. I don't know. It's just such nonsense. Like, why would you say that? I don't care if it's true. Lie. Just lie. God. It's okay. You can lie in an interview. Ryan does it every time he applies for a job. <laughs> Got <it> right. <laughs> I did create an ad today, though. Hey. SEO. Beautiful. I invented SEO. You guys see, see Illinois? I know I posted it earlier. This stupid ass thing. Yeah, the Kingfishers, baby. This is the dumbest. Let's go. A, a, a bird, a little bird that's from Asia. We can make it the mascot of... It looks like a big ass bird on their thing. Illinois, of course they're making it look big. Mm. This is just stupid. I mean, you know, Beers. you got the Orioles, the Cardinals, the Blue Jays, the Ravens. You even Take have the Hawkeyes in your own conference. Take any of them. Be the Eagles. I don't care. That eagle headdress. No, but they, but an eagle's cool. a big ass bird. I'm talking about nah. little birds. You know, the freaking. I mean, it's not like they want to nah, call e- themselves the parakeets. E- eagles too played out. If they're you're not, a new team, not, you, can't, you can't name your team the Eagles anymore. They are not that small. Like a, a raven. Are you stupid? Oh, a, a raven is more symbolism than anything else, too. Like, raven's always like the darker kind they of. They could have been the Illinois albatross. Hairbringer of death. 
Like, kingfish <laughs> is just a tiny little Asian bird that picks up minnows. Like, what? what is this? You you go from... Oh, a huge travel. Yeah. So you, so you can only be a bird if you're a big bird. Or a vicious bird or a cool bird or literally anything that doesn't look like an orange and blue hummingbird. Like... So the peacocks would be okay? It would be fun, at least. And you could have some badass uniforms. I mean, God it's Like, what dang. color are you? Well, we're student, a peacock, so we're all the colors. Section. On a wild Friday night, and Lovely Smith has Ohio State in town to just be doing wild bird calls. You know how intimidating that is? <laughs> Not even a little bit. <laughs> Better than whatever they do now. Might as well be the gutting ducks. What do they do now? Fighting Illini. Is that like really five they, syllables. Is you that can't really do that. It's not their fault. It's con- Probably. It's not their fault in 2020. It's considered racist to do Indian chants. I mean, it's just so stupid. Like, the Illini have a wonderful storied history. They had one of the best what? logos in all of sports. Like, across Wait, the board. Wonderful. Right. Hang, well, on. What, Hang on. What history? Wait, back Jesus up. Williams? Back up. 2005, they went to the finals and got their ass, got their ass handed to them by North Carolina. Besides that, what is their long-storied history? They're orange. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm dead serious. They had one Are team of D. Brown and Deron Williams and Augustine, and they had a really good year, and they robbed my Wildcats of a spot in the Final Four uh, that I watched and cried. Um, but besides that, what else did they have? Basketball, right? What? So you know there's more sports than basketball, right? Yeah, they haven't done a damn thing in football in forever. What are you they talking won about? They've won five titles. They've won Rose Bowls. Yeah, bro, they won a title in 51. 70 years ago. Oh, we're going That's back to Michigan history. was good. That's why it's history. I didn't say they're the greatest modern team in the world. Like, you're saying they got a long storied history. No, that's not a long storied history. That's they won a old title in history. 1914. That is yeah. very long and storied. Like, but what? it's not. No, it's not storied because it hasn't been continued. The storied history is you are still relevant throughout each decade. They are definitely uh, not. All right. You don't remember have, the time they won the Big Ten in 2001? They have conference titles. <laughs> they have conference titles in literally almost every decade. Not the 70s or the 2010s. That's why I said almost. Or the 30s. 40s, 50s, 60s, or, 80s, or the 90s, aughts. They got 2001. Like, they, they have a, t- uh, a conference Oh, good. They got one in 20 years. How many does Michigan go, have? One. Exactly. Well, I don't know. Did you win one before 2004? No, no one's going to be like, oh, Michigan's not a long-storied program. No, they are because they stay relevant, oh. though, at least. Only if you got a galaxy brain. Hey, Illinois started playing football in 1890. Please. What does that matter? All their titles before fucking (laughs) 1960. Put some respect. Black people weren't even playing. Hold on. It was literally a bunch of five foot five white guys playing each other. We're just just mad y'all lost to them this year. Ridiculous. You damn right. That was horrible. In both sports. Well, no, actually, we were able. No, we beat them in basketball. We did. We did. We did did clean that up. But damn, almost in both sports. Yeah, it'd be crazy to get sunk by a game winner. Against Illinois in basketball, though. <laughs> I hate you. You guys should have lost. There's no way you should have beat them. You guys got so goddamn lucky. You got lucky after we were up by 30. That's not my fault you blew the lead for no reason. Oh, I didn't say it was, but... <laughs> right now, we blamed you for it. Yeah, we didn't blame... You're just saying, you know, you can't just say we got lucky when we were up by 30, and then, you know, 
decided to take our. You did get lucky to win. You literally should have lost at the end of the game. You got extremely lucky. <laughs> so it's February. We are one month away from March Madness, and we are getting ever so close to the conference tournaments, which will lead into the big dance. And our Michigan State Spartans and Paul's Michigan Wolverines are in a tight race for second, third in the Big Ten. All of us chasing Paul's other team, the Maryland Terrapins. Woo-woo! Okay, Paul, let's hear your terps. Can you make a turtle call? I don't know what noise a Terrapin makes. <laughs> I don't either. I'm gonna, I need some water to splash in. <laughs> but so the Big Ten, which has been arguably the best conference all year, has arguably six... what? What do you gotta qualify it for? I, they've been historically great. Stop it. I mean, you say historically great, but like we're all gonna be like a four seed, or five seed, or six seed, this except for all, Maryland. Just oh god, I almost said something terrible. Uh, even more than normal. Uh, no, we just all been beating the shit out of each other. Right. But we've all been beating the city each other out of the ways of being a one or a two seed when it comes time for the dance. Michigan would have been Michigan would have been. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But livers lost his liver and so y'all weren't. That's just bad luck. (laughs) He lost his liver. (laughs) Partying with Xavier. I I mean basically the Michigan basketball team lost its liver. It's not good. So we got what, six teams tied for second, two two games back of Maryland, Michigan right behind that group. And you look around at the rest of the conferences, and they have a couple teams that are decent through the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC. Uh, The Pac-12 is kind of sort of a joke. Big surprise there. Uh, But so, Paul, are you feeling confident about the Big Ten's chances when it comes time for March Madness? I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. We're by far the deepest and best conference. I mean, we have... If you put 12 teams in, all 12 would have a chance to win their opening game. But it really depends on how we get matched up. So like we talked about, our seating is depressed across the board because of how much we've been whooping up on each other, especially on the road. And it's been, it's again, a double-edged sword. You have all these quad one opportunities that help you, but you also have way more losses than most other teams because you're playing in such a difficult slate of games. So it really cuts both ways. But yeah, I, I think, I really think eight teams are going to make it to the round of 32, which I think is crazy. But now again, we got to see how they match up. I and mean, we could just get, the seating really could screw us. I mean, we could, a lot of teams could get put in a lot of bad spots that they don't deserve to be in. Uh, we talked, multiple times on this cast about Wichita State years back and they had to face Kentucky and I think maybe the round of 32 uh, um, yep something Eight stupid one. and barely lost that game and Kentucky went on to the final four maybe uh, they went far that year um, uh, yeah at least the final four so uh, things like that can happen and they're going to happen we're going to put 10 teams into the tournament likely which is a ton of teams there's only so many places to put all those teams. I mean, there's going to be three Big Ten teams, or two to two or three Big Ten teams in every single region. It's it's really going to be quite the mess, especially when trying to avoid early rematches, which the committee says they try to do, but it's going to be borderline impossible this year. So, I mean, we might end up cannibalizing each other in the in the tournament. I mean, it's going to be. It really just depends on matchups. But yeah, I'm confident that we're going to perform really well relative to the rest of the country for sure. I mean, so if we get 10 in, and that looks to be the case as of right now, 
You can keep one on each side of their own brackets. You know, one on the one side, one on the two side to avoid it there. But that's only eight. So you have two other teams there that are going to be in. So you're definitely going to get some early rematches for the Big Ten. It's just going to happen. Like there's yeah, literally yeah, I mean, no you'll have like a 10 and a 7 the second round or something. Oh, but even if it's like a... Uh, or even like, what is it, four, well, four or five is the Sweet 16, right? Yeah. Yeah, but even if it's like a... a th- or no, 10-7's first round. I'm stupid. It would be four or five second round. Yeah. Final final answer. Four, five, three, six, something like that. Hmm. Which just sucks. But <laughs> So based on this, this chart that I shared with you earlier uh, with... Um, I don't know if it was today or yesterday. It takes into account the um, pre-tournament adjusted deficiency, adjusted defensive efficiency, and the um, adjusted offensive efficiency before, uh, basically before the tournament. And it takes. It looks like every national champion since Syracuse in '03. Maybe that's when they started tracking the chat. But there's this little pocket of it where most of the national champions fall, and then it shows you where the uh, the teams this year fall. And only three teams in the Big Ten are in that pocket, and that would be Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. And then two teams are right outside it. Penn State is, like, on the tip-tip of that bubble. Maryland's a little bit further out than, than they are. And then um, Purdue is even further out than Maryland. And then uh, Iowa's further out than than that. So I think that's eight teams total on the chart and three that, you know, according to the uh, adjusted efficiency rankings, both offensively and defensively, have a shot at winning the title. Um, But I think you could see eight, you know, definitely in the round of 32, like Paul said, and it'd probably be those eight teams that, um, that we just saw there. But there's also... So it's tricky because you see all the Big Ten teams play each other, and none of them look particularly good when they play each other. Like, I don't think Michigan State's that good, but they're, I think, seventh in Kempom and, like, ten in net or something. Uh, But when I watch them, like watching them right now, it's a super frustrating team, and they don't look like a good team. Sometimes they legitimately don't even look like they practice together. (laughs) And then other times that you've watched, you know, Michigan or Penn State or Maryland this year, to me they haven't all been that impressive but they're all up there still like in in the advanced statistics or in the advanced rankings whatever you want to call them but with the NCAA tournament you you obviously have to factor in that if somebody does get a four seed you know if Iowa's a four there's very well a 13 that can take them out so eight teams could definitely make the round of 32 but I could also see a situation where only five do because it just is so massive I do think um, I do think the eight is more likely though because we've seen it in past tournaments at least as it relates to the first round um, you don't always have so much luck in the sweet 16 and the elite eight but even in the past couple years the big 10 hasn't been um, hasn't been like not represented in uh, in those you know sections of the tournament or in those rounds um i think it, you see it a lot is it does them well to get out of the big 10 and to stop playing kind of like this grinded out style so when the they're seeing these teams that they've probably only seen that's probably the first time that they've seen the team all year i mean michigan you know might draw like gonzaga again or michigan state might get duke again or something but for the most part you're seeing those teams once and then i think that is probably more so where like those net rankings those Kempom rankings um whatever other 
Paul threw out Bart Math or whatever it was the other day. Um, wherever like you see any of those rankings, um, when you have teams that aren't in the conference and aren't familiar with each other, either from this year or even years past, I think that probably bodes better in the Big Ten's favor than it might for than it might for some of the other conferences. Um, and they'll, you know, a lot of them will probably outperform their uh, their seeding. So I'm looking at bracketology just to see what they have right now with Joe Lunardi's. And the Midwest and the East both have two Big Ten teams in it. Midwest has got Illinois, and they also have Indiana. The East has Ohio State and Penn State, which means they got three teams on the other two brackets, which, of course, is where our two teams lie. In the South, they got Michigan State as a five seed, and the four is Kentucky, of course, um, with Wisconsin as the eight seed, Baylor is the one. Um, and then Maryland is the two. So Maryland, Michigan State, and Wisconsin in the south. And in the west, where Gonzaga, of course, is the one. Michigan's the five with Oregon as their four. That'd be fun. Um, Iowa is the six. And Rutgers is the nine. So basically they hate us because they want to put as many obstacles in the way for both of our teams. I mean, that just shit well. all over what I just said about seeing the team once. You got Oregon playing Michigan and the Michigan State playing Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like it's going to be a tie for you and Paul with your bet of who goes further. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Like, these last four games for Michigan State, they have Iowa now. I think it's Maryland, Ohio State, and maybe Illinois again. Um, so, like, all the teams that they're kind of tied with, uh, they they play, <laughs> and if Maryland loses, because Maryland also has to play, I think Michigan, Illinois, and I think a throwaway. Like, I, I want to say it's Northwestern. Um, no, we got Maryland, or, or is it Penn Minnesota, State, and Ohio or it, State? Or I think Maryland plays. I think Maryland plays Michigan, Illinois, and somebody else. Not uh, not Iowa, which I think I said. Um, but I think it's Minnesota. Or yeah, Minnesota. Eh, no, Maryland has they, Minnesota, they play us, Rutgers, and Michigan. There it is. So Minnesota and Michigan. Uh, yeah, and then Rutgers. So if Minnesota or Michigan is able to, and we'd obviously have to win out, um, but if Michigan beats if Michigan beats Maryland or if um, Minnesota does, then you'd be looking at an instance where Michigan State might get the might get that one seed in the in the conference tourney. Yeah, but do you still see do you see us being anything higher than? I don't even want to say a three, but for shits and giggles, why not? A three seed in the actual dance? If you win the rest of your games, then yes. But no, uh, I think three is probably our ceiling if we win these next four games and then say we lose in like a, a game or two in of the of the Big Ten tourney. But if we, run the, if, if we run the table, which I don't think we will, and you'd win, what, seven games in a row or something, um, then I could see them – being a two because all the other like the Ken Palm and shit is so high, but and then you'd add on probably like six quad one wins at the at the end there to um to pad your resume. Um but like I said, I don't see that happening. It's gonna be really frustrating if we do win these next four games though. Only because you look like shit all year and then at the end you rope everybody back in. Mm-hmm. Like the sucker I am. <laughs> Does uh does Michigan have a path to be the number one seed in the Big Ten tourney, Paul? Like, is it mathematically possible? So I think 
I think Michigan State is going to end up a four seed. As far as Michigan mathematically being possible, I think technically, unlike literally Maryland losing the rest of their games and a bunch of everything working in their favor and Michigan winning out maybe because we do play Maryland, we do play Wisconsin, we do play Ohio State, um, and then the other games I think could technically shake out, but realistically, no, there's not. Like, even Michigan winning out, they're still probably going to finish a couple games back of the number one seed. But I don't care about that. Like, that doesn't matter to me. Um, it will be... Uh, it'll be a travesty if Michigan is less than a three seed. Just absolutely incredible, ridiculous absurdity. Uh, but you would think that if the committee does truly take into account uh, injury, that there's no way that they will be less than a three seed... What sucks about the bracket that Matt just read us is, yeah, Michigan's a five seed, uh, a four seed. They would just swap spots with Oregon. That does them no good at all. Right. And the the worst part of it is I would much rather be a six seed in that bracket. I would much rather take Iowa's spot in that bracket. Is this? Who's the three in that? Uh, who's the three in that? Creighton is. Give Brain? me just a second. Who we already beat, oh, yeah. I think. I think we played them this year. Yeah, you did. Hold on a second. Yeah, but I got a chance for Michigan State, Arizona, and the Elite Eight in the South. <laughs> All right, there we go. I'm just, Who do you root for then? some trouble in my, uh, it's my headset. Well, yeah. so I, I, I actually ran into this problem my freshman year at Arizona because uh. it was the my freshman year at Arizona is the year Michigan State is trying to defend. And that was the year that uh, – that Michigan State and Arizona met up in the Final Four, and State just got ass blasted by Arizona. I mean, just ran the fuck over. I, there's only one play I remember for sure, and it was where Jason Richardson went up for a layup and tried to switch hands, reverse sides, and Richard Jefferson jumped with him and stayed with him the entire way to block him and stuff him completely. Didn't even let him get to the rim. And my dad and I are sitting there together. I'm wearing an Arizona shirt with a Michigan State hat. He's wearing a Michigan State shirt with an Arizona hat. And after the ass raping that Arizona gave Michigan State, I went in the bathroom and cried. (laughs) And not happy tears. Really? I was not happy. I mean, I gotta understand it's different. You know, like, when, when it comes to Arizona stuff, it's different. I chose Arizona, yeah, but I was born green and white. So, like, to I just, know, but you were a student at the time. I know. Like, I think if like if it's right now, I can see where you might lean Michigan State more. But like when you're going to the school, it was my first year, so it wasn't. You know, it yeah, wasn't like I. You know, my senior year might wasn't. have been a different story. But yeah, you know, I, I, and I, I definitely got it. into it more and more torn. throughout the years. You're super you know, you're, torn there. Yeah, it's one year well, at Arizona versus 18 years of my life as a Spartan. You know, just just to point out the absurd strength of the Big Ten. One of I, I consider Bartorvik one of the better rankings. Not the best. I mean, they're all flawed in their own ways. But that was the Bart math yeah, I was talking Bartorvik. about earlier, listeners. Uh, they have we have 12 <laughs> top 40 teams in the Big Ten. 12 top Get 40. Eight of the top 25. 10 of the top 30 and 12 of the top 40. Like, that's how stupid stacked this conference is. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like, how, how do you have so many good teams? And I'm, oh, they didn't count it. It's, it's, un, it's insane. And it's going to hurt us in seeding, but it might hurt 
a lot of teams down the stretch when they're facing a ridiculously underseeded 10th seed Big Ten team. I mean, you got to face, uh, I don't know, man. This tournament's going to be fun. It should be fun. Especially. It'll the- be fun. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing that I have to, like, come to grips with, too, is when I say, like, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, like, all those teams aren't that good. There's not, like, that. We've seen a weaker just college or college basketball, like, top in general than I think we have in recent years. So it's probably clouding my judgment uh, a bit. And not always keeping in mind like how it's basically how weak the rest of the field is. I mean, the only team. Although I do think Kansas is the only team I want to avoid as long as possible is Kansas, and not even because they're so good, but how we match up with them. I think their strengths match up to give us the most fits. But I, I, and I've told you guys this all fucking year, even during our slide with livers out and the struggles on the road. Uh, we are stupid, well-rounded, and solid. Like, Michigan is way better than most people realize. And I say most because plenty of people have given Michigan credit. Billis, in, Billis the other day just said Michigan Final Four caliber team. Plenty of people think Michigan's going to be really good. Uh, the rankings and the seeding might not reflect it, but it, why wouldn't we be? I, we started off the season for the first seven games looking like the best team in the country we absolutely steamrolled gonzaga like it was nothing one of the very best teams in the country it's been near the top of the rankings all year then we lose our arguably best player second best player go on a skid through the road struggles of the big 10 get him back immediately win a million more games we've won like seven of eight i think we've won four straight road games like what more do you want to see from a team when they've been healthy, they've rolled everybody. No, I mean, I hear you, Paul. You know, when you guys have been complete this year, it's been pretty impressive, especially with, you know, brand new coach coming in. I know a lot of the same players stuck around, and so they already have that cohesiveness. But it's going to be different when well, you're you playing for that, a new guy. Well, you say that, but we lost three starters, all of Yeah, which... but only one is worth a damn. Stop. What, you think all three were worth a damn? So, Poole was not a big loss. I will say Thank that. You. We, Poole Thank was you. was not... Poole is absolutely not a big loss. He caused as much headache as he caused help outside of that Houston game that he saved us in. But Charles Matthews, his length and athleticism, especially on the defensive end, and his leadership cannot be replaced. Like we and we we don't have it. Uh, we are Wagner is trying his best to replicate what he did as a freshman, but it it's not the same. Matthews was absolutely amazing for us and. Iggy was phenomenal. Iggy was awesome. He was hyper-efficient. He was all over the place on both ends of the floor. We lost two massive pieces. So we lost three starters, and we lost two really large pieces. And yet we still have pretty damn good depth. We have a team that is comfortable going eight and nine if you really need to. Oh, but you're not ten deep like last year? Not ten deep like (laughs) last year. Well, we lost. That's, that's, we lost three players. You weren't 10 deep last year. So how deep were we? So we lost three players from last year. We're we're nine deep now. We lost three players from last year, and we added one rotational player. One. Wagner's the only player that gets real minutes that wasn't on the team last year. You know, speaking, you know who's leading the ACC right now? The ACC? Yeah, Virginia. Yeah. Oh, it's not West Virginia, is it? 
Oh, no, no Florida, Florida State. State. Yeah, no, no, Florida State. Yeah, Florida State's having a really good year. I like Florida State. I've liked Florida State for a long time, and I like the way they play. I don't – I haven't paid as much attention to FSU this year, but they Florida State runs usually – That's deep. a team that runs 10 deep. That's that's what they do always. They, yeah. And they usually and they're have all lengthy sh- wing players. That's – they always have uh, – They burn have, me every year in the tourney. For they Florida always State. have <laughs> they trees. Do. Florida State always has trees, and they truly run deep. And they, so they keep fresh guys on the court, and I love to see it. All right, so we dive into Grizzly Takes. And for our first Grizzly Take, best player to never win the MVP of the NBA. And, I mean, you'd have to go back, but I I gave, like, a quote-unquote short list. I mean, Kawhi hasn't of, won MVP, has he? No, he was on the short list. But his career, I mean, he's he's only like six years into his career. Yeah, so like him and AD, you could, but there's still time for them to. Although if Kawhi keeps sitting fucking thirty games a year, uh, he's not going to win one. Not that I don't I don't think he cares, which is obviously a different topic. But actually, no, I. But mine, I, mine, I think you, I think I think you're safer to write off Kawhi not winning one than you are Anthony Davis. I don't think Anthony Davis can win one either. But I'm going to stick with modern basketball since that's what I know a hell of a lot more. Uh, I can't tell you which guys Jordan was robbing of MVP. I don't know. But uh, I I think Chris Paul, if you look at his career in its entirety, when it's all said and done, I mean, he's literally all over the leaderboard in any point guard metric you want to look at. Like, top three ever? Top three might be a little much. Top five, easily. Easily top five point guard in NBA history. Came in at a time... There was nobody... Nobody played like Chris Paul did on both ends of the floor. And I think that's what hurt him. Part of it was his greatness was not always measured by the box score. But the leadership, his tenacity on defense, his overall skill... Uh, I think it hurt him a little bit that he played in a similar time as LeBron because if it wasn't for LeBron, Chris Paul would have been known as the best passer in the league because Chris Paul's passing is absolutely absurd, uh, borderline, not quite on par with LeBron's, but absolutely ridiculous. Uh, one of the things that I've always loved about Chris Paul outside of his fight and how hard he plays is when he passes the ball, it's never just to get the ball to a player, but he's always passing the ball to a spot for that player to be able to make the best play, whether it's to dribble afterwards or whether it's in his pocket to make the right shot. I remember Chris Paul in an interview he did a while back, and he was talking about even passing to open shooters, that everyone on his team, he knew where they liked the, like exactly what spot they liked the ball best at for catch and, catch and shoot. In that kind of attention to detail, and not just attention to detail, but the athletic ability and talent to make that reality, to not just know that in real time, but get the ball to that spot, he can score too. And he, most of his career, he hasn't been relied on to do so, but let's not act like he wasn't a great offensive player. He just made the offense go he was the engine of the offense far more than he was going to take over games and drop 50 points on a given night because that wasn't his game 
but he he was so well-rounded as a basketball player in so many things that are not reflected in things like the MVP race, things that he'll never get credit for. But if you're talking about the greatest player to never win an MVP, especially if I'm looking at modern era, and not saying that in any given year that he had the stats that he should have been MVP, but I think for sure the arguments there that Chris Paul is the greatest player that didn't put up an MVP caliber season. That's grisly for me. Not not that it's my answer, but any – I mean, like you mentioned, you look at any of the analytics – they all love Chris Paul. And even this year, he doesn't have the the stats to prove it out. But if you were going on like the most valuable narrative, if you would, you'd probably even put Chris Paul up there with the city that with the season that Oklahoma City is having and how valuable Chris Paul has been to them, especially when people thought that it was, you know, they might even trade Chris Paul because there's no reason for Oklahoma City to have him and he wasn't gonna like it. He wasn't gonna adapt because they were going to be, you know, on the, on the trend of losing. And for the most, and for most of his career, he's been a very good two-way player. Uh, he's also been an excellent shooter for, <laughs> for most of his career too. And he's been stuck on teams that outside of him, they, they weren't fantastic. Uh, Blake was really good uh, a couple years in um, LA. I think he was even like top five in MVP, in MVP voting. Uh, when him and Chris Paul were together, but that was, you know, largely a byproduct of what Chris Paul is able to do for Blake Griffin. But in New Orleans, his best teammate that he had was probably David West, um, who Chris Paul turned into an all-star. And, um, you know, even in Houston, Chris Paul made a huge difference to that Rockets team, and they very well might make the finals and win the championship if Chris Paul doesn't go down in game six against the um, against the Warriors that year. So I think there's a lot of arguments, you know, that can be made for Chris Paul to be, you know, sort of definitely underappreciated in um, in basketball history, and he's definitely on the very very short list of best players to never win an MVP because he is such a, a valuable part of really any team that he's on, and every team that he's been on has he it's worked to an extent that he's been able to make them better. You know, he obviously doesn't have the the championship to um to show for it. But all of those teams, if you take Chris Paul off, they're definitely like not in that same spot that they would have been. Uh, you know, with him on it, it wasn't any type of addition by subtraction by any means. He just didn't have enough of the horses around him. And then the one time that you thought he did, and it really looked like, um, you know, they were they were going to at least go to the finals and kind of break through that glass ceiling that he's had uh, in his career. You know, he got hurt. I'm so torn on this because caliber of play, absolutely. But you know the rules with MVP. You don't win the MVP if your team is not a top four seed. It just doesn't happen. But and the for question beginning, was best player. I know, but there's a lot of things involved when it comes to winning the MVP. That wasn't and the question. He, the question wasn't about those things involved. I understand, but you have to be you in a position while being one of the best players to win the MVP. And his time in Oklahoma City in the first stint, nowhere near his team good enough to be anything involved in an MVP race. He goes to the Clippers, and now you got something where his team is good enough, and he is still good enough to win an MVP. They ran into a buzzsaw that came out of nowhere in the Golden State Warriors that killed all that noise very, very quickly. His play, absolutely. One of the best point guards we've ever seen. Absolutely, probably a first ballot Hall of Famer because he has been that good. But there's just been 
too many things are going against him, whether him not being able to stay healthy, him being on teams not nearly good enough to be involved in an MVP race, or obviously the great players that he's had to go up against to take MVPs away from him. It's grisly, but there it's it's right on that borderline because there's certain things I think you have to take into account when it comes to MVP races, and one of them is how good your team is because you know that goes into account when it comes to winning an MVP. My answer for this, and this started because I saw on, uh, like I said, I saw on Twitter and someone said it was Carmelo, and it is not Carmelo, but it got me thinking about who it was. And my answer is a bit of the, the modern variety as well. And I don't even think it's recency bias, but Dwayne Wade really doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Maybe it's because during his time in Miami when LeBron was there, he did take a back seat. But before LeBron got to Miami, Dwayne Wade was already a champion. He was the best player on a championship team. And he had a season where he averaged 30 points, 8 assists, and 5 rebounds. That was 2009. I don't know who won the MVP that year. I think... I think it was Bron. That might have been Kobe's year, though. 2009, um, I think, was yeah. Kobe's year. Okay. Well, no, actually, uh, hang on. No, it was 08. The year they lost to the Celtics was the year Kobe won it. Okay. I believe. Um, so, 08, 09, I, I do think that was LeBron. And I remember thinking at the time that Dwayne Wade should have won the MVP. He played 79 games, and I know health has been an issue in his career. Uh, that season specifically, he played 79 games. And even before that... Uh, the seasons that he was playing, he averaged over 25 points a game in like seven of eight years. And he's he was a, a really like high assist guy before LeBron got there, um, consistently averaging six or seven or really like seven or eight assists a game. And then obviously LeBron came and LeBron had the ball more than Dwayne Wade did. Uh, and he's a guy who's going to get you, you know, five rebounds on a given night, too. Uh, was a really good defender back when he was, you know, athletically able to defend. Was never you know, a great shooter, but made that up by being one of the all-time greats at, you know, actually getting to the hoop and getting to the rim. And Dwayne Wade's really, to me, the third best shooting guard of all time behind MJ and behind Kobe. And he played on, again, a lot of Heat teams that weren't very good. And then when LeBron got there, Dwayne Wade wasn't the best player anymore. So he's, of course, not going to get MVP there. But during some of those seasons where Dwayne Wade, between 06 and is it 11 when LeBron came, um, like there's not, there were very, there were very few players who were better just in basketball in general, and maybe no player that meant more to his team success than, you know, what Dwayne Wade did. So I feel like Dwayne Wade should have got an MVP specifically in 2009 when he went crazy through 79 games that year. Um, but it obviously it obviously didn't happen, and since he's retired, it's not going to happen anymore. But he was one of my favorite players until I realized how dirty he was. <laughs> so that, that that made me a little bit sad, a sad realization of of his dirty plays. But that didn't take away from how big of a fan I was to um to start his career. Uh, this okay. is Grizzly. I've been a fan of this man since Marquette. Um, I would argue that his maturity and ability to take a step back and allow LeBron to be, you know, 1A on that team really made that team a lot better as opposed to him fighting and saying, look, I'm just as good and can do just as much. I've proven that for years. <laughs> and uh, this is my city. And this is my city and it is still my team and will forever be his team. Um, and I absolutely agree. I think he is the third best shooting guard we've ever seen. He's got the numbers. He's got 
the style. He's got the teams and, and throughout his career at different times where the Heat were good enough. You know, obviously in 06 when they won it all. But, you know, a couple of years after that, they were still pretty damn good as well. And he had arguments to be involved in it then as well. Um, and just never got it. So, you know, for me, it's it's pretty much a no-brainer that this is Grizzly. I think y'all are tripping. Like, holy balls. I think this is... I think this is reflective of how old me and Ryan are and when we grew up, his opinion on Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is one of the most overrated players in NBA history. Are you stupid? (laughs) Dwayne Wade is absolutely one of the most overrated players in NBA history. Now, we're going to do a whole other podcast about this. (laughs) This question specifically is the semantics of it are very important. Is best player to not win an MVP. It was not uh, best season that should have won MVP and didn't, which you can make an argument, a wrong argument, but you can at least make the argument for the 2008-2009 season. It was 2008, by the way. Uh, you said 2009. It was 2008 season that he had that monster year, and he averaged 30 points, which... Well, it, no, if it ends in 2009, it's a 2009 season. All right, well, I, I like the year that it starts in but whatever 2008-2009 season uh for you play most of the season okay whatever clarity for clarity for clarity (laughs) it doesn't matter matter. it's not not important uh you can make that argument that he could have won mvp that year but outside that i mean you we're talking about a guy that made a career at the follow line that shot 29 percent 20 he's a shooting guard that shot 29% from three in his career. And I understand that the early 2000s were not the heyday of three-point shooting. Even the late 2000s. This is a guy, take his best year, which he hardly played in Cleveland. Uh, 2017 actually wasn't even the whole year, but just his Cleveland portion of 2017, he shot 33%. This guy is a shooting guard that couldn't shoot. And I know that he had this lethal mid-range game, adorable, that analytics have already pointed out a million times over how worthless that is in the grand scheme of basketball. Uh, To say that his defense, and as overrated as he is as a player overall, his defense might be more overrated. Uh, Throw out being, listen, there's a reason that Dwayne Wade only made two first-team All-NBA teams. All right, and it's not because he was overlooked. Ryan said it's because Kobe was Ryan a shooting said guard. The absurdity <laughs> that oh, there were only a few players in the NBA better than him at the time. I mean, one of it, them was at his same position, and is one of happens to be one of the greatest of all time, and Kobe Bryant. So you're is, not making first team over Kobe. Yeah, you can never make never have a better season than Kobe. He did twice. Uh, he did twice. <laughs> like what? No, I, I think it's kind of hard to actually. I, I think he's absolutely, absolutely an overrated player. Whether you want to talk about his health, his lack of efficiency, his lack of if it, his lack of consistent defense, I, you point to anything that you want to. Uh, he was the beneficiary of when he played in the league, and I think if he played both earlier and later, came into the league, he, he would be regarded as a good but not great player period for Absolutely any time not. frame disagree um no he, he he's not he is not strong or physical or defensive what? enough what what are you talking are you, about okay i'm following right here are you, you stupid he's one of the strongest shooting guards ever will you let me finish 
No. No. He is not. He is not, <laughs> not with that stupidity. He is not durable or tough enough to survive before his time in the era that Jordan grew up. And he is not nearly efficient enough to be a great player in the modern NBA. He came in at the perfect time for his skill set to not be completely useless. Oh, that's a hell of a lot of luck. That's a hell of a lot of luck. Dwayne Wade Wade is wildly overrated. And I like Dwayne Wade. He would have fucking ate the shooting guards in Jordan's area. Get out of here. He would have been hurt like every season. Every single season. He would have took fucking Dumars to the... I mean, yeah, he would have in the one game that he played him before getting hurt. Because Dumars hurt. Because <laughs> Lambeer was right behind him to take him out of the game. Lambeer would have his shit dunked Yeah, Dwayne over. Wade's durability would have really held up getting hacked every drive to the fucking basket. And, and like I said, he made his living at the free throw line, the, the calls that wouldn't have been made in an earlier era of basketball. I mean, he played a thousand games in his career. Like, <laughs> yeah, because he played for 20 fucking years. Congrats. You played half your fucking games in your career. You played 15 Wonderful. years. You, what, just what a fucking amazing streak of durability. All right. I, so and, and, and now, if he came into the league now, he would be a role player. Oh, he wouldn't. Shut up. How? <laughs> he has no efficiency. Okay, stop it. You he would have come in and he okay. had you a different not, mindset. That's, that's you not true. You cannot be game. a great shooting guard in today's game with no fucking efficiency, dude. He was hella efficient before he fucking fell off in 2015. Efficient when? From fucking 04 to 14. He didn't shoot 30. The first 10 years of his goddamn he career. He didn't only, shoot 31%. Three, three point he shots. didn't shoot he 31%. It's because he only three He shot fucking one a game. Well, what was his efficient? It's not like two points were that much better. Okay, he made 50% on two. That's some hyper efficient. When you Yes, when you're going to the line as many times as he is. Are you kidding? If you're going to the line all the time, your two-point percentage should be fucking higher. And he could half pass your shots and fucking count. And defense. He's giving you fucking seven assists a game, too. Congrats. Oh. I guess it doesn't matter. Well, he averaged five. So, I mean, yeah, he had a couple years that he had around seven. Five for his career. Five for his career because he f- he fell off and then LeBron took the fucking ball. He got his ball taken because he couldn't do when he was the When he was the main guy, he was averaging seven assists a year at least. Yeah, yeah. Except for his rookie year, but it's obviously his when he was year. the main guy before LeBron came, he had fucking two years of over seven assists. Two. Don't say seven okay. at least. Okay, Mister always wants to round Don't up. Don't say seven at least. Well, you said at okay. least. Sorry, but six point eight does round up to seven, which is fine. But don't say seven at least. He's also a champion before LeBron Congratulations. came. Congratulations! He got the Wade. most fucking fraud championship of all time. Absolutely robbed the oh. fuck out of the Dallas Mavericks with the most absurd talk about. Oh, he talk, robbed them because Dirk was still soft. Talk baby about shit. making your goddamn living at the free throw line. This is the worst final series of all fucking time. All right. Well, if Paul's that worked up about just Dwayne Wade, he's going to hate mine because mine's actually a tie because I cannot decide between these two. Dwayne players. Wade. Uh, so one, we all know and love. Well, I know and love a lot more than you guys because you all came after him. But it's Isaiah Thomas who... Should have a three-peat for a title, and his best years were when Larry, Magic, and Michael had a stranglehold on the MVP award. But you're talking about a 12-time All-Star who played defense, was a leader, a lot more of a leader than Chris Paul has ever been, because he actually got his team to the championship, and averaged 14 assists a game. (laughs) 
and still finished ninth in MVP voting with over 20 points and 14 assists a game. That's how much of a stranglehold Larry, Magic, and Michael had over the MVP. The other one is another is a guy I talked about before as well, and is one of is the biggest forgotten star in NBA history in Elgin Baylor, a 10-time first-team All-NBA selection who finished his career averaging 27 points, 14 rebounds, and 4 assists. And his best years were when Bill Russell, 5 MVPs, and Wilt Chamberlain, 4 MVPs, were busy trading that damn award <laughs> back and forth. These two, and, and both of Feels these guys... Bad. Unlike Chris Paul, had a championship caliber team around them as well. Something needed to win the MVP. Please pick one. I can't. Can't. Can't do it. Not between these two. They both deserve. Hey, goddamn, twenty-one and fourteen. That's not the question. You're gonna get. You're gonna get cuddly just on not. I don't care. I'm just throwing the knowledge out there for the listeners. These two great, phenomenal Hall of Fame players that did not get an MVP award because it was too busy being hogged by other phenomenal talent. Yeah, Zeke, uh, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll Grizzly, uh, Zeke was on my short list for this too. Uh, he obviously has two NBA championships. I think he's what, finals MVP and only one of them. Yeah. His other one, did he not play every game or well, something? No, the other one, Joe uh, Dumars just went off. Oh, I thought Zeke was hurt. Regardless, Zeke played through uh, being hurt. Well, he had that Kobe in him. It's like game seven. Well, he still played. He oh, he still played <laughs> with an ankle the size of my head. I mean, yeah, one the one of the best point guards ever. You know, probably three or four. Um, some people probably have him two behind uh behind Mr. Magic over there, and then Elgin. So the only thing with Zeke, I guess, is. I know it's best player, but there's also kind of no chance you were going to win MVP when you had the the Giants and the Legends of the game that you had there. Although 21 and 14 and not winning MVP, not winning ninth, ninth. Not, they yeah. had eight guys. Who, they who said won were better. Uh, that was Bird because Jordan was that, in the that, league. And yeah, in yeah, uh, that was Bird. Bird won three in a row, and that was part of his three peat. He was he was ninth in MVP. What year? 1984 When he had 21 and 14. It's Larry Bird. I want to see this list. I know. I want to see who the other. Detroit versus everybody. Maybe Magic's on it, but I (laughs) want to know who else was on it. Was it Barkley? Isaiah Thomas, ninth. God damn. Yeah, people just hate him. Hating on him. This was also before the Pistons were actually good. They weren't good yet in 84 85. They were getting there. That's probably what it was. So Moses Malone third, although the only so four players got first place votes. Larry Bird got seventy three of them. Magic got one. Terry Cummings got two, and Michael Jordan got Terry two. Terry Cummings got two. But it was Larry, Magic, Moses Malone, Kareem, Terry Cummings, Michael Jordan, Bernard King, Sidney Moncrief, and then Isaiah Thomas. That's a hell of a list. Besides Terry Cummings, I mean, flash in the pan. But I mean, you got Bernard King, who was phenomenal for the Knicks. He averaged more points and assists than Magic. Jesus Christ. I mean, I know Magic had fucking... The Lakers probably won way more games, but goddamn. Oh, yeah. His win shares. 11.2 win shares, which puts him like six on the list, maybe. Over fucking Bernard King. How many points? Oh, Bernard King, 33 points a game. That's why. That's why you're right there. No. Jesus Christ. How the fuck? Yeah, that's crazy. Right? <laughs> how the fuck? You must have been. How do you only have seven win shares, 33 points a game? One of the next bad even then? He, and he, he wasn't. 
No, I think that was the year we lost to the Knicks in the first round in five games. Knicks and Pistons went at it in like 84, 85 in the first round in a great Ryan, Ryan still got a finished part where two. Isaiah and Bernard just went back and forth running that show. Ryan, what about part two? <laughs> um, oh, I mean, Eldon, yeah, but we've talked about him before as one of like the most um, – I think we had another Grizzly take of like most forgotten player in NBA history or something around there, yeah. most underrated maybe. And, I mean, same type of thing with – with Elgin Baylor is when you had Bill Russell and you had Will Chamberlain, you know, winning all the winning all the championships, which I'm sure like because you know today and even even in like the 90s and early 2000s, you could see what was happening like in real time as it happened. Whereas like if back when Elgin and Will and uh, Bill Russell were playing. You probably based a whole lot of your MVP voting on, say, like 1960 based on what happened in the 1959 season. Like if the Celtics won and Bill Russell was finals MVP or if you just knew Bill Russell was the best player on the Celtics and the Celtics won a championship, you were like 1960. Bill Russell's definitely the MVP because he won the championship last year. Whereas, you know, today, obviously, you can follow every single game as it's happening and you can look at things on a day by day basis. So in that aspect, if Elgin wasn't out there winning uh, a lot of you know championships, I understand why the, an MVP wasn't given because you have one guy who's hogging the championships and then you have the other guy who's hogging the headlines and hogging the records. And it's not like Elgin didn't get his roses, you know, 10 first team all NBAs. So people looked at him as one of the better players in the NBA, just not obviously and any better than um, than those two. But those are some, you know, wild career stats to have. Uh, and especially if you just take, like, his probably, like, his prime five years, that 21 and 14, I'm sure it shoots up to, like, 28 and 20 or something. No, no, no. He's 27 and 14 for his career. 27 and 14. So it's like, ah, 35, it's like sure 35. It's like 35. 35 yeah, I, mean, I brought this up when we talked about it last time. But the year that Oscar averaged a triple-double is the same year that Wilt averaged 50 points and 25 rebounds, and neither one of them won the MVP. Bill Russell won it at like 22 points and 18 rebounds because the Celtics were the best team in basketball. Mm-hmm. So we already know the I'm NBA sure they won the championship the year before, and they were like, well, it's clearly Bill Russell. Right. East Coast bias. Mm-hmm. Skip <laughs> But yeah, I'll say Grizzly on both of them, more so on Zeke. I just don't don't know that much about those. Gonna... Right, here comes the hammer. <sighs> Isaiah Thomas wouldn't survive I, I today's can't, game. I can't answer <laughs> about Elgin Baylor. Elgin Baylor. I, I legitimately cannot answer this about Elgin Baylor because I don't know how to properly contextualize what he did. I don't know enough about that era of basketball. He was I, Michael Jordan before I, Michael I Jordan. I know he was a great bull. Michael Jordan's overrated as fuck, but we know that. No, uh, but I mean all the stuff in the air that Michael has done. That <laughs> uh, was Elgin Baylor when no one I, else I just, was doing it. I, really. I'm all about putting things in the proper context to evaluate them, and I can't do that here. So I can't give you a legitimate answer. Like I see 27 points in 13 and a half boards over a career. That's like crazy, right? But in the same era – like Ryan just said, you had a guy that had 50 points and 25 boards a game over a season. Like, uh, how do you put those numbers into context outside of fancy math, which doesn't tell the whole story, and you can't evaluate error to error? I, I just can't do that. Like, you, he probably has a great case, but this is part of 
one of many reasons I stuck to the modern era with my answer is it's a lot easier. We have a lot more wealth of knowledge to evaluate players on. And Elgin Baylor stats, yeah, they look incredible, but I don't know how to properly contextualize them, especially back then. I mean, we're talking about an era where I mean, literally guys off the street playing. I mean, it's it's just it's a different game. And not say, I mean, who knows? He could have been incredible today. I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. Uh, to Isaiah Thomas, I mean, it's got to be Grizzly if Dwayne Wade's fucking uh, on this list. I you want to laugh in an era that nobody shot threes. He had the same twenty nine percent career three point percentage that Dwayne Wade did. Uh, his third year in the league, he shot thirty four percent from deep. Dwayne Wade never did that ever. And you're talking about a league that barely knew what the three ball was, and then nobody, the best players couldn't shoot the three ball for the most part. So, I, I mean, God dang, if you want to include Dwayne Wade in the, even in the conversation, Isaiah Thomas has to be absolutely grisly. Um, Isaiah Thomas was an awesome passer. Uh, we know what defense was like back then. You, you didn't start and play a long time in this league if you couldn't play defense. Uh, there, was, there was a year that Isaiah Thomas averaged 14 assists a game. I mean, that's wild especially when you consider the pacing of basketball in the sheer uh volume of shots compared to today's game in the spacing everything was very very different um so for for him to have a, a year where he puts up 21 points and 14 boards as a point guard or i'm sorry 14 assists is a point guard is pretty crazy um i i wouldn't he, he wouldn't have been on my top few if i was picking this but you can certainly make an argument for him, and certainly worlds better than anything that Dwayne Wade ever did. You mean three-time All-Defensive Team yep. NBA? Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I know. I know defense. that his reputation was absolutely absurd. I am absolutely aware. Uh, congratulations that you picked passing so you, lanes. So you compare Dwayne Wade's defensive stats open. to like Derek Jeter's Gold Gloves? Well, I didn't watch Derek Jeter enough to answer that question, but. Dwayne Wade, I, I compare his defense to Steph Curry's defense, actually. Uh, <laughs> it, it, good at slipping in a passing lane and then half the other time leaving your guy, guy wide open. I got to find out what Marquette did you. <laughs> I, I'm just being real. Is there I, so, look at, so much wild look at the Look at they the points for possession. Frisk when he was there. Look at the, point, <laughs> look at, look at the points for uh, Wade's primary, the guy he's primarily defending when, when he's shooting on him because he leaves him wide open half the time trying to playing the aggressive oh, style just, of defense I just thought played. of a great, great idea for a cast. The entire cast is just all of us just hating on certain greatness. Like, we all just pick certain greatness. I don't like all. doing that. I don't want <laughs> to do that. No, it's not. No, not at all. You can fool me. <laughs> Hell of an audition. Put that right up there with you being a big Spartan fan. <laughs> I don't want to hate on him, but I, you're, you're just – you're talking with emotion and not reality. I've just never seen a bad, worse basketball coach in time, is it? Is it? <laughs> okay. So, do you take umbrage with uh, plus him I being would the third that entire, shooting guard? I would, I would, uh, I would put that entire cast. It's great shoot. Put it this way: I would take Clay Thompson at thirty percent over the best Dwayne Wade's ever been. And you'd be stupid, which is fine. It happens. I don't know. I, I think I, a lot of the, I, I thing, a lot of the thing with Wade that, that the era that he really blew up in was not a three-point shooting era. It was perfect for him. You had he came up in the perfect era for him to play. Slashing and mid-range. It was, it was also tougher defensively, but whatever. 
I don't think looser defense was going to make Wade a good shooter because he sucked dick. You put a lot of faith in three-point shooting. Like, there's so much more to And he only shot two a game. <laughs> like, yeah, he's jacking up five. He played a thousand fucking games. Is that not a big enough sample size? He never shot well ever. No, but it's but he knew he couldn't shoot threes. So why would he why would he start shooting he six a game? He should have shot none a game because he couldn't but fucking he hit He knew him. that he could slash really well and either finish or get the foul or both. And or he had a pretty decent mid foul, yeah. yeah, he had a... No, hey, uh, he was look, I'm with you on the 6 finals. thing on a basketball court. The 6 finals are a disaster of officiating. They You blew on Dwayne Wade and it was a foul. And that was some bullshit. Because the Mavs should have won that series. They absolutely the should. Rep- well, maybe if Dirk wasn't the no, softest no, fucking no, no, seven-footer. No, no. I remember watching it. I remember thinking it then. And it's never left my mind that the refs in that series were a bit Like, damn, bro, if, if Dirk had any ounce of fighting. I, I was bitter before the 2006 final started because I was still pissed that the Pistons didn't Lost double. Lost to the Heat. And then, and then they were starting to fall apart around the time 2006 came around. And I was already irritated. And then I just watched that fucking travesty. And I was, I, that's when I, honestly, that was when my, my really jaded about the NBA started was 2006. That's when I really started to get like, fuck okay. this league, dude. So, so it's not, we figured it out, Ryan. It's not what Marquette did. It's what the Pistons did by falling the fuck apart in 06 and 07. Ah, and then at, 08 and completely after, breaking. After Big Ben left. It just, yeah, it just, it just totally dismantled Paul and his love for basketball. Hmm. So this is, I, I get it. I understand because I hated it too. I was so mad at the Pistons on the wasted opportunity again and again and again, and it culminated, really culminated with a 25 points to LeBron alone come back the next year. Like, in, oh, see, that's so why stupid. that's why I hate it LeBron. So but I tell you, that's why I hate LeBron. I don't. But hate. I don't. But that. But <laughs> and I also don't hate on LeBron why. as a player because. But it's not why. Like that hurt me just as much as it hurt you. But I don't hate LeBron because I recognize actual real greatness. Bro, you love having his nuts in your mouth. Yeah, like the guy LeBron had to go run to to oh, win a title. Oh my god. Uh, I'm just saying that phone. That is the easiest phone call of Dwayne Wade's life. He calls up LeBron. He's like, LeBron, hang on a second. I got to call Chris. Pause, add Chris, three-way call. Hey, y'all, how the winters in Toronto and Cleveland? Oh, they suck ass? Y'all should check out South Beach. I'm just saying. <laughs> y'all should come rescue my broken ass that can't shoot a jumper to save his life. How come when I give you guys a telephone call, it doesn't ring? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's> so good. <laughs> All right, I think that's perfect. Ryan? Do the thing. Woo. Make sure that you guys follow us on Facebook at Sports Carnage Podcast, on Twitter, which is just at Sports Carnage. No podcast in the name. Um, make sure you follow us on YouTube, which is Sports Carnage Podcast, is podcast in that name. And then go ahead and check out our most recent interview, well, our most recent and our first interview that we ever did with uh, comedian Zach Martina. Very funny. Go check out his album, uh, his comedy album that he just put out called not the worst dad you can get it on amazon itunes wherever you stream anything in the world it'll be on there uh you know give a message on his facebook page tell them you know you you heard him from us uh but we're hoping to give you guys some more content like that in um in the future and then as always make sure that you are like subscribing sharing and commenting on all things sports carnage podcast related thank you so much for Ryan Griffin, Paul Roshan, I'm Matt Basson. We're Sports Carnage. Thank you all for spending another couple hours with us, and we will talk to you all next week. Yay, yay.